I was not a good student. And I was, I attribute a lot of that to the fact that I'm dyslexic. And the thing that got me through it was just plain persistence. And I think once you've had that sort of trial by fire uh, and you get yourself through it, you think you can get through almost anything with pure persistence. So I, I um, worked pretty hard and it has uh, served me well over a long period of time. I never thought that I was the smartest uh, or sharpest tool in the drawer. Um, but I certainly, I don't think many people outwork me. And I think that persistence that I learned uh, got me, it gets it through an awful lot of situations. This is episode number 66 with Dr. Toby Cosgrove. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. This next episode is a very exciting one for me. As most of you know, I recently graduated from medical school at the Cleveland Clinic, and since then, I've started my residency training in family medicine at one of its community hospitals. Even over the past six years since I've been a part of this organization, I've seen it grow and change in very big ways, and the driving force behind much of that change has been its president and CEO, Dr. Delos Cosgrove, otherwise known as Toby. I was honored to have the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Cosgrove recently to discuss his background growing up and as a surgeon in the Vietnam War, as well as his contributions to the Cleveland Clinic during his tenure as CEO over the past 13 years and his vision for the future of healthcare in America. A little bit of background about Dr. Cosgrove. As I mentioned, he's currently the president and chief executive officer of the Cleveland Clinic, which is an $8 billion healthcare system and has constantly been the number two hospital in America by the U.S. News and World Report rankings. Dr. Cosgrove completed his undergraduate work at Williams College in Massachusetts, and he then went on to receive his medical degree from the University of Virginia School of Medicine. He completed his clinical training at Massachusetts General Hospital, Boston Children's Hospital, and Brook General Hospital in London. He served as a surgeon in the U.S. Air Force in Vietnam, for which he was awarded the Bronze Star. He joined the Cleveland Clinic in 1975 and was named the chairman of the Department of Thoracic and Cardiovascular Surgery in 1989. Under his leadership, Cleveland Clinic's heart program has been ranked number one in America for over 22 years. Dr. Cosgrove is also a sought-after speaker worldwide. He's addressed the World Economic Forum annual meeting at Davos, Switzerland, as well as the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee in Washington, D.C. He's regularly quoted and featured in national magazines and news outlets, including Time, Newsweek, The New York Times, and The Washington Post. Dr. Cosgrove was elected to the National Academy of Medicine in 2013, and he was named a 2016 Fortune Business Person of the Year. He's also highly ranked among modern healthcare's 100 most powerful people in healthcare and most powerful physician executives. Dr. Cosgrove has been consulted by successive presidential administrations, serving on the Veterans Administration Commission on Care in 2015 and the recent White House Strategic and Policy Forum. 
Now, before we get started, I have a few quick reminders. First, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. To check out my online training programs through Beyond the Whiteboard, visit beyondthewhiteboard.com forward slash juliefouché. Finally, please remember that although I'm now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So, as I mentioned, it was a true honor to sit down with Dr. Cosgrove during this time as I made my transition from medical student to resident at the Cleveland Clinic, and I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. So without any further ado, let's get started here with episode 66 of Pursuing Health featuring Dr. Delos Toby Cosgrove. Well, welcome to Pursuing Health. Well, thank you very much. Yes, it's it's a real honor to be here with Dr. Toby Cosgrove, who is the president and CEO of the Cleveland Clinic, and I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for the invitation, Julie. (laughs) And I have to say first, just a big thank you, not only for your leadership of the Cleveland Clinic and healthcare as a whole, but particularly for education and everything that you've done to support our medical school. You know, I just recently graduated here from the Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine, and I'm starting residency here as well. And it's provided an outstanding environment for me to begin my career as a doctor. So thank you for that. I remember shaking your hand as you walked across the stage. Yes, I remember that too, very vividly. Um, so now I want to talk about you, obviously. I think most people now know you as the CEO of one of the world's leading healthcare organizations, but before that, you had a long career as a doctor. So what led you initially to pursue a career in medicine? Well, as I grew up in upstate New York, mm-hmm. and uh, I my father and uh, was a lawyer, and I remember as a young kid, he talked to me about the things that it was important that you had make a contribution, and he thought it was good to have a contribution in, in the professions, and he said you can either look after people's materials with mm-hmm. being a lawyer, you can look after their spirit by uh, being uh, a, a clergy, or you can think about medicine and looking after their physical needs. And I thought that the latter was for me. Okay. And then what led you from there into <clears throat> surgery and eventually cardiac surgery? Well, um, I just naturally gravitated to surgery. First of all, I thought I'd look great in a mask. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> always a good reason. But also, uh, it seemed to me like uh, I liked the direct uh, re- relationship to actually doing something and having a, a result. And that mm-hmm. seemed it was very appealing. And then ultimately, cardiac surgery came along because that was the developing field at the time. And I found the physiology uh, of it absolutely intriguing. Uh, and it was just getting out of up and off the ground, and uh, I was just absolutely fascinated by it. And I know you had a long, very successful career as a cardiac surgeon, but you've spent the last 13 years in a different role, leading the organization as the CEO. And I know very from very early on, when you took on that role, you've recognized the importance of wellness, and you've implemented a lot of different policies to that end for employees and for patients. And I think... 
probably some of the more well-known policies or earlier on had to do with smoking. So initially banning smoking on all of our campuses and then later refusing to hire any smokers as employees. So I, I want to know what was, how was that received initially? Did you receive a lot of pushback and what made you so determined to persevere? Well, first of all, uh, as a, a chest surgeon, I dealt with all the ravages of smoking, mm-hmm. uh, initially with lung cancer and then with heart coronary artery disease, both of which are associated with smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, and I, as I was thinking about healthcare when I became CEO, I really th- I thought that it was going to be important that we prevent disease rather than trying to cure it. Mm-hmm. And I'd had a father who died of emphysema, and I'd had my experience uh, with uh, this. And so I decided that uh, smoking was one of the obvious things that we should do. Um, And we started with um, offering uh, smoking cessation, and then we banned smoking on the campus, as you said. And then where I really got the pushback is when we decided we weren't going to hire smokers. Initially, um, that was, um, I had a great deal of difficulty getting that through HR, mm-hmm. uh, and that was certainly turned out to be that it is legal to do that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to model what I thought good health care was in looking after yourself, so I thought smoking was a good place to start. Uh, pushback was substantial. Uh, and, but I'm really glad that uh, we pursued it because now only 5% of Cleveland Clinic caregivers smoke, which is subsequently substantially different than five per, uh, 18% of the general population. Right. That's really, really an incredible impact. And you talk also in your book, Cleveland Clinic Way, about the role of the clinic in campaigning for Smoke Free Ohio and then... Um, just in general, taking on that role, fighting the tobacco industry. And it seems that right now there's sort of a similar fight going on with sugar and with the food and beverage industry. Do you, can you draw any parallels there? Well, I think it, if you look at smoking, it took a long time to make any difference mm-hmm. in smoking. You, you realize that uh, it was in the early 50s that smoking really was associated with lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And at that point, about 50% of the people in the United States smoked, and it's gradually come down, so it's only about 18% now. So it was a long, hard struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it is, and I'm amazed that it hasn't gone further. Right. I, th- I think now we are just beginning to realize uh, the epidemic of obesity, which we're seeing in the United States, much of it related to sugar and almost everything that we eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is, we're going to have to begin to raise the consciousness of uh, the entire country about the problem with uh, sugar. Mm-hmm. What do you think needs to happen in order for our nation as a whole to decrease sugar consumption? Well, I think ultimately one of the things you have to do is raise the consciousness about things, and then you can begin to have uh, uh, things put in, uh, <coughs> excuse me, into effect that mm-hmm. will begin to do it. things like taxes. I can imagine taxing sugar, mm-hmm. uh, not just in soft drinks, but in, in everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oops, sorry, I know. I know you said uh, we also talked about some of the other policies as well, like banning sugar-sweetened beverages from the cafeteria, finally ousting McDonald's from our cafeteria, um, trans, banning trans fats. 
And then also providing for employees free memberships to things like Weight Watchers, gyms. And I think one of the most exciting things, which is the insurance plan, where where employees can have discounts on their health insurance when they demonstrate that they're being physically active and that they're addressing any of their chronic health conditions. So can you talk about the impact of these policies as a whole over the past decade or so on the health of the organization? Well, it's been a long learning process for us. When we started out, we really didn't have any idea how we could do this, and we sort of took it a step at a time. So smoking, and as you point out, with food and then exercise, and then subsequently looked at disease management. <clears throat> and as we got into this, uh, we have seen now that where our costs were going up at a 7.5% a year, they leveled off about two or three years ago and went down last year about 2%. So we are having an effect. And on top of that, we find that we're having fewer uh, people admitted to the hospital, fewer emergency room visits. Uh, and we've seen uh, our people calling off for sick come down uh, 28%. Wow. Uh, so it has made a difference in the quality of the health and also the cost. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's really been a very satisfying uh, march, but it's been a long, a long one. Uh, march, <laughs> particularly trying to find out how to do it because right. there was no roadmap. Right. Well, now that we're starting to see this impact, do you see some of these policies having potential on a larger scale, on a national level, to be able to improve the health of our yeah, I think, you know, what I what we're seeing right now is a huge debate going on in on healthcare in the mm-hmm. United States and really I uh, hope that it's going to be unsuccessful. <coughs> Excuse me. And what I would like to see is a bipartisan bill that begins to look at how we reduce the cost of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Which is going to be a uh, it needs to head two areas. One, have people take care of themselves better with the things we've talked about, about mm-hmm. smoking and obesity and now drugs. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is we have to begin to look at legislative activities that uh, will begin and administrative things that will begin to make the delivery of health care more efficient, uh, such as getting rid of the incredible amount of regulation we have. We've had now 14,000 pages of regulations in the wow. last two years. Makes fascinating reading. <laughs> <coughs> I don't know how anyone could ever, ever read all of that. And uh, also, uh, we be need to think about how we can bring hospitals together in systems instead of everyone trying to be a cottage industry, mm-hmm. uh, all of which will drive efficiency. And there are a lot of other things we can do. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a place for an insurance, a health insurance system like we have here on a larger scale? Well, the question is, you know, how, first of all, I don't think we're going to get uh, one a single payer in the United States. Right. I think that's politically um, not viable uh, mm-hmm. thinking. Uh, I Whether or not the Cleveland Clinic should be involved in a major way in having its own insurance policy, um, I think is questionable. We've been looking at this and studying it now for a number of years. Uh, hospitals that have done this, many of them are having real financial problems with it. Mm-hmm. And I personally think that our strength is uh, providing care, not selling insurance. Mm-hmm. Stick to your strengths. (laughs) Try to. (laughs) That makes sense. I also wanted to talk about functional medicine because you've played an integral role by bringing the first Center for Functional Medicine here to the Cleveland Clinic three years ago. Um, And so could you just talk about why that was something that you decided to invest in early? 
Well, first of all, uh, if you look at uh, people's longevity, there's really kind of two things that affect it in a big way. Uh, healthcare is maybe 30% of predicting uh, 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 premature death. Mm -hmm. The others are genes <clears throat> and uh, the environment. Now, you can't do a lot about genes right now, but you certainly can do a lot about the, the environment. And one of the major things that uh, affects you is all the things you put in your mouth. Mm -hmm. It's probably the biggest environmental effect that you have. And that's one of the things that uh, functional medicine really points to. And, you know, we have to keep an open mind about the causes of the disease. Mm -hmm. I think back about uh, when I was a resident, we used to be operating on peptic ulcers all the time. Mm-hmm. Now we realize it's a bacterial <laughs> disease. I mean, so we have to keep an open mind. Right. Absolutely. What has been your <coughs> perception of the progress or its development over the past three years? Well, I think we're getting better. We we cannot uh, have functional medicine essentially be something that you spend two hours with a doctor on. We have to figure out how we democratize it, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're working on that. It, mm -hmm. But it is a, it's a work in progress like any new movement in healthcare, And we have to keep an open mind about how, where we can get the contributions uh, most effectively to affect the largest number of people. Mm -hmm. Do you see any role for it expanding beyond more of a tertiary type of role where where it would go out into something more like a primary care setting? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think as we become smarter about uh, the influence uh, and the potential for this, I think we'll see a wider application of it. Where it fits. Okay. Um, and if you had to describe, I'm sure you've been asked this before, your vision for healthcare in our country in the future, maybe 10 or 20 years from now. Well, uh, I guess like I, it's hard to think about exactly where we're going to go, but I think everything's going to change. Where are you going to get your care? Mm -hmm. Who's going to take care of you? The diseases that we're going to treat and the sort of treatments that you're going to get. Mm -hmm. You know, where are you going to get your care is going to be less and less at the hospital and more outpatient. <clears throat> the people that are going to treat you, you're going to have more and more uh, physician's assistance helping the, the doctor shortage. Mm -hmm. You know, the diseases are increasingly not acute diseases, but chronic diseases, and the treatments are going to continue to expand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Oh, you're okay. Um, feel free to take a drink if you need. Um, so my last several questions have to do more with your personal approach to health. So I know, I read that you're 76 years old. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Well... It seems that you're in an excellent state of health at the age of 76. And I know that throughout the course of your life, you've been exposed to a number of stressful or high pressure situations from serving in Vietnam to your medical training and residency, and then your career as a surgeon, and now the CEO of a huge organization. So what do you think are attributes that have allowed you to thrive in those environments? Well, I think one of the things that... Um, I was exposed to early on, particularly in college, was the fact that um, I was not a good student, hmm. uh, and I was—I <clears throat> attribute a lot of that to the fact that I'm dyslexic. Okay. Um, and the thing that got me through it was just plain persistence. And I think once you've had that sort of trial by fire, uh, and you get yourself through it, you think you can get through almost anything with pure persistence. Mm -hmm. So I. Uh, um, 
worked pretty hard. Yeah. And it has uh, served me well over a long period of time. I never thought that I was the smartest uh, or sharpest tool in the drawer. Um, but I certainly, I don't think many people outwork me. Mm-hmm. And I think that persistence that I learned uh, got me, it gets it through an awful lot of situations. And so what, it sounds like you've realized fairly late in the game about the dyslexia. How did that, how did you figure it out? And then how did knowing <coughs> that change the approach that you took in learning? <laughs> well, I never heard the word until I was 34. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I was dating a teacher at the time and I was trying to read the New York Times out loud. And uh. she said, you're dyslexic. And subsequently, I got a phone call from a, a professor at Yale by the name of Sally Shaywitz, huh. who said, I heard that you might be dyslexic. And she took a history from me over the phone, and she said, absolutely, you are. There's no question about it. Wow. And uh, I think the good thing about it was it made me feel that I wasn't just plain stupid, uh, that maybe that there was uh, something that caused that. And I subsequently realized that the dyslexia is really a gift, because you think about things differently than other mm-hmm. people do. Hmm. Uh, um, and perhaps in some cases more creatively, I don't know. But mm-hmm. uh, And so I fell into category with a lot of other people who've been successful who are dyslexic, which made me feel a lot better about myself. There you go. Very good. Um, I know that my audience as well, a lot of them being CrossFitters, have learned to recognize the importance of challenges and overcoming challenges and how much you grow from those experiences. And you talk a lot too about failure and learning from failure and that being an important part of ultimately your success. Do you have any other examples you can give us of when a failure has helped you succeed later on? Well, I think, uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, when I was operating as a cardiac surgeon, uh, there used to be a thing called a, a ischemic, uh, ventricular septal defect where the, uh, infarct in the heart would blow out the septum between the right and left ventricles. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, we would try to sew it up with a patch and it was just mush. Hmm. As a result of that, I figured there, there must be a different way to, to fix this. And I started working with a device in it uh, that would be like a umbrella that you would put through the hole and blow up the umbrella on one side Mm -hmm. and then blow up the umbrella on the other side and lock the two together to close the defect. As it turned out, uh, ultimately, that became the device that wanted to close patent ductuses, the natrial septal defects, etc. Wow. A lot of patients died when we just couldn't figure out how to sew them up, but Mm -hmm. they wound up with those sorts of uh, techniques um, helping. Wow, that's amazing. All right. Well, I want to close with three questions I ask everyone on the podcast. So the first one is three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. I sleep, I exercise, and I keep my weight under control. Okay. And don't smoke. <laughs> of course. Of course. Do you mind if I ask how many hours you get of sleep on average? Uh, six up. Okay. Very good. And when you say manage your weight, does that mean mostly watching what you eat or are there other, do you have a general exercise regimen or nutrition? Yeah, no, I I watch what I eat and uh, I exercise. Okay. A favorite type? I know you were a basketball player, correct? I was. Okay. Any favorite type of exercise now? Well, the elliptical. Okay. Very good. You can multitask quite a bit on the elliptical. 
Um, what about one thing that you think would have an impact on your health, but you just have a hard time imp- implementing it into your life? Exercising more. Okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. We could always do more. And my last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? Uh, I think a healthy life is uh, physical, emotional, uh, both. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is uh, always difficult to maintain both of those in the proper order. Uh, <clears throat> I'll tell you one thing that I do not believe. I dislike very much the work-life balance mm-hmm. concept. Mm-hmm. I think it's work-life choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work a lot. Mm-hmm. Um and that would that's good for me mm-hmm. probably wouldn't be good for everybody right. uh, but uh, so I think you make the choice and it's never uh, it's not a formula mm-hmm. are there things that you like to do outside of work I know you work a lot but yeah well I you know I obviously have uh, I've done a lot of boating over time mm-hmm. and I love doing that awesome Well, I know you also recently announced your plan to step down as CEO later this year, Mm -hmm. and I know you're going to be greatly missed here, but I really appreciate you sharing this time and sharing your thoughts with us in the Pursuing Health audience. So thank you again so much, and we wish you all the best. We'll be following to see what you do next. Julie, thank you very much, and I wish you uh, all the best in your starting in your career. I wish I was where you are now. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. Hearing Dr. Cosgrove talk about the importance of persistence and all that he has done really hit home for me in this conversation. He's clearly a true visionary and a leader in helping our nation regain its health, and I'm personally grateful for the influence that he's had on my education and training at the Cleveland Clinic. Now, for all of you listening, I'm going to pose the same question that I posed to Dr. Cosgrove in this interview. What sort of policies do you think could be successful at reducing the burden of chronic disease on a national level in the U.S.? Do you think policies similar to those that have been instated at the Cleveland Clinic could work nationally to improve our nation's health? Let me know what you think in the comments below this post on my website, juliefouché.com. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com, and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. When I decided it was time to bring on sponsors for Pursuing Health, one of the very first companies I reached out to was Thrive Market. So it goes without saying that I'm excited to tell you they're supporting this episode of the podcast, and they're also providing an amazing offer to all Pursuing Health listeners. If you go to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash PH, you'll receive 25% off of your first purchase, as well as free shipping and a free 30-day trial on top of their already 25 to 50% below retail prices. So now that I've got your attention with that, I want to explain just why I'm so enthusiastic about this company. First of all, my husband Danny and I have been ordering from Thrive Market for years. Back when we started, we were both in medical school and I was training for the CrossFit Games, and now we're both doing our best to balance our busy schedules with residency training. As you might imagine, we don't have much time at all for shopping or meal prep. 
and we found a few strategies to maximize our efficiency, with Thrive Market being one. Using Thrive Market, we can shop for all of our staple grocery items and ingredients from a curated list of products we know and we can trust. Whether you're looking for paleo, vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, or organic products, you can find them on the Thrive Market platform. Even better, these products are available at wholesale prices. So they cut out the middleman, saving you 25 to 50% over what you would spend on these items at the grocery store. Not to mention the savings in the time and effort of a grocery store trip, because Thrive Market ships your items directly to your doorstep. Danny and I use this primarily for items like nut butters, cooking oils, snack foods, and tea. When we pair these items with the fresh meats and produce from our local CSA, we never even need to step foot in a grocery store. Finally, one of my absolute favorite aspects of Thrive Market is their commitment to giving back. So for everyone who signs up for a Thrive Market membership, another membership is donated to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. One of the most frustrating things for me is to see people who know what they need to eat to improve their health, but they don't because it's too expensive. I believe everyone's health is priceless, and when I shop through Thrive Market, I know I'm helping to make healthy living even more affordable for someone else, too. Thrive Market's mission is to make healthy living easy and approachable to everyone, and this aligns perfectly with my own personal mission and that of pursuing health. I wanted to share the benefits of Thrive Market with all of you, and they've stepped up with an amazing offer. So head to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to receive 25% off your first purchase, plus free shipping and a free 30-day trial. Again, on this is on top of their already 25 to 50% below retail prices. So I hope you can take advantage of this amazing offer and enjoy their service as much as I have. Once again, head to thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to save on some of your favorite items for healthy living and to help make healthy lifestyle easy, affordable, and accessible for all. This episode is brought to you by Mobility Wad. Do you struggle to get into good positions in your training and workouts? Are your movement compensations causing you undue pain and grief? MWOD's belief is that every human being should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. For nearly 10 years, Mobility Wad has been the go-to for the world's best athletes and teams. Do you know what hundreds of Olympic and world-class athletes, professional teams in the NFL, MLB, basketball, hockey, rugby, and soccer, and dozens of universities all have in common? They use Mobility Wad to train and compete at their best. I first took Dr. Kelly Surrett's Movement and Mobility course in 2013, and since then have read his books and followed his videos for ideas on how to address my own movement restrictions. But sometimes having all this information can become overwhelming, which is why I think the real genius is in the MWOD subscription. As part of this subscription, you have access to not only hundreds of hours of video content that can be filtered based on your specific questions, but also a daily 10-minute Mobility Wad video. You just log in and follow Kelly's instructions as if he is there coaching you in person for 10 minutes per day. You may pick up certain exercises that you wish to incorporate on a regular basis before or after your workouts. But at the very least, by following this daily program, you know you are addressing a wide range of movement patterns and body parts on a regular basis without having to think about it. I often do these sessions first thing in the morning or before bed as a way to wind down from the day. In addition, you have access to an on-ramp sequence and a 14-day mobility challenge that helps you understand the basics and identify the areas you personally need to focus on. You can lean on the MWOD community and discussion boards to learn from others who have been through similar situations or injuries. And if you need more personalized help, you can use the MWOD list to find a like-minded practitioner in your area. 
It's easy to become part of the Mobility Wad community, but for being a Pursuing Health listener, you can receive 20% off an annual membership with code Julie Fouché. That's J-U-L-I-E-F-O-U-C-H-E-R. Just visit www.mobilitywad.com. Full potential, full power. Full power. 